Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast for Real Life Church Pullman. We exist to help people know and become like Jesus. Corbin kicked off the series last week, and he helped us kind of dig in and understand this idea that wisdom is indeed under fire, but that's nothing new. Wisdom has been under fire since the beginning of time, really. We talked about what wisdom is, and it's this idea that wisdom, one way you could talk about it is that it's knowing how to understand and live out God's word no matter the circumstances, And I love the way that he kind of unpacked that. One of the things that he mentioned I thought was really good is wisdom, the idea of getting wisdom or having wisdom, it doesn't sound real sexy or cool. It's a little bit like, eh, all right, great. Like, I'm good at math. Like, I mean, if you're good at math, if you're a math person, you're like, what's wrong with that? And for me, I'm like, I don't know, right? Wisdom isn't all that exciting. But what he talked about was what if... Like, let's bring it down to practical. What if in any given situation, in any circumstance, you knew really what God would want you to do in that situation? Like, you knew the godly answer to give to difficult situations. You knew the godly thing to do that was right in line with God, no matter what circumstance or situation you would find yourself in. And and all of a sudden, wisdom sounds pretty cool now. Like, how beneficial would it be to your life to be able to go into any circumstance and know exactly what God wants you to do and be able to have the wherewithal to walk that uh, decision out. And so that's kind of the, the idea that we're talking about is wisdom. And one of the things is that the idea that pursuing wisdom, wanting wisdom, that's nothing new. It, one of the challenges I think that, that I sense in the world right now is that Wisdom comes from really knowing and understanding God's word and then, and then, and, and, and God blessing us with the ability to like discern and walk out God's word. And when there are fewer and fewer people really wanting to learn and know God's word, then it sort of goes without saying that there are a lot less people in the world with godly wisdom. And there are there are fewer people with godly wisdom and yet it, it, we're in this time because of the technology and the world that we're living in we're in this time where there are so many people that are so uh outspoken and on board about all sorts of social issues and huge issues and global issues and they're they're rioting and marching and protesting and yelling and and we hear about all of these things and it gets exaggerated of course because of media and social media and all the stuff that like like never before is funneled right into our phones nonstop and to the palm of our hand and our homes and we're hearing of all these loud voices about all these people with all these causes and yet Yet, I think there is this like silent majority that sort of is wrestling with so much of what's gone on in the world because it's like there are so many things that get said that we might be able to agree with a statement or agree with a certain principle, but it's so hard to embrace some of those things when they're so wrapped up in, in, in so many other things that don't seem right. And it feels like behind the loud voices and the big crowds and, and the social media stuff, like behind all of that, it feels like there's this tension that, that it, it doesn't feel like it's predominantly driven by a bunch of people who are really genuinely personally following God. And so there's this tension. It's like, how do you, how do you get behind and support a, a movement that says racism is bad, which everyone in this room would say 100%. 
that's not okay. But, uh, but a movement that says racism is bad w- while also saying that, that uh, vandalism and robbery is fine. And it's like, it doesn't, something's not right, something's off. And there's this tension that it generates in us. And, and it, it, it's over and over and over with so many of the different issues and so many of the different things that we see from leadership when we have governors and leaders of the country that are making rules about COVID and they say these are adamantly important and they're for your benefit and here's all the reasons why. And then they blatantly disregard their own rules. It's like something's not adding up. And there's this frustration. And there's so many people whether they're on social media or in your friend group or leading different organizations that don't feel a whole lot like a Daniel in Babylon. They they don't seem to be like the type of person that is all in following God, walking in God's wisdom. And I think one of the things that I want to just wrestle with and and get you to, to stretch on a little bit today as we dig into this particular message is that it feels like in our culture right now, there is this, um, perspective that's trying to be this that's leaking its way into the way people think about themselves there's this idea that the individual can't actually make much of a difference that you personally there's nothing you can do about pick your issue you personally, right? There's, there, or you could make such a small difference, how would it ever matter? And so there's this pressure to join the loud voices, whether you totally agree with them or make sense to you or you totally understand it or not because there's this, it feels like, well, it's the only way we could ever make a difference is if, if we join with the masses and we're loud enough and we influence people enough and we pressure people enough to do the right thing or we can influence government to fix it, we could, you know, that's the way. And it, there's something missing with that. Because the reality is, your individual personal decision to follow God does matter. And your commitment and willingness to walk in God's wisdom can have radical implications for the good on the world around you and the relationships around you like you would never imagine. And we're going to get reminded of some of those things as we dig into some of Daniel's stuff this morning. One of the things about Daniel, as we know, like Corbin mentioned last week, is that Daniel was a guy who had made a decision. He had purposed in his heart to follow God, to walk in God's wisdom. He decided ahead of time that he was going to, he was going to honor God, period, and he was, he decided ahead of time, in fact, he was not going to do things that were going to defile himself or, or mess up his relationship with God. And so when those things came, he stayed the course. He was a guy who knew so much of the wisdom of Solomon. And it had permeated his life and it sunk in and it was showing up in a practical way in a real person's life. The, the book of Proverbs is full of, uh, instruction about wisdom what it is what it's not how to get it how to avoid being unwise or foolish right and most of it is written by Solomon to help his sons and those that would read it seek wisdom like seek God's wisdom and there's one proverb that I think uh, Daniel really embodied so well like this I think just shows up 
It's like you can see a proverb, but then you can see a person, and it's like, well, this is what it looks like on paper, and this is what it looks like in a human. Like Daniel lived this one out. Proverbs 3, 5 through 7. A lot of you are familiar with this. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do and he will show you which path to take. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And man, I just think that sums up Daniel's life so well. That he trusted in God daily. When he was faced with difficult situations, he he didn't just guess and just spout off the first thing that came to mind. Or he didn't, he he wasn't inclined to people please and say what they wanted him, you know, what what he thought they wanted to hear. He, He really was driven by a desire to trust God to walk in God's wisdom. And so there are many times when, when things were difficult and, and the pressure was on and he didn't know the right answer. He didn't know the right thing to do. And so what did he do? He didn't just anything. He paused and he prayed. Oftentimes he would ask for additional time to pray. I want to make sure whatever comes out of my mouth, I want to make sure it's right with God. I don't know about you guys, but I'm really good at saying what I think. It comes just like that. My wisdom is readily available. Just hang out with me. You'll get some whether you wanted it or not, right? Like, my wisdom is readily available. I think we're all that way. But Daniel lived differently. I think it's so important that we remember that Daniel and the others like him who were in exile in Babylon were there as prisoners, that was cool the way Corbin laid it out and reminded us last week how many prophets came to God's people ahead of time to warn them generations before the exile. Warning after warning after warning after warning, like turn from sin, stop worshiping idols, stop doing things that are breaking your relationship and, and dishonoring your God. The prophet Isaiah, for example, had these words to say long before Daniel was born. Isaiah uh, chapter 1, verse 2 says, listen, O heavens, pay attention, earth. This is what the Lord says. The children I raised and cared for have rebelled against me. Even an ox knows its owner, even a, and a donkey recognizes its master's care, but Israel doesn't know its master. My people don't recognize my care for them. Oh, what a sinful nation they are, loaded down with a burden of guilt. They are evil people, corrupt children who have rejected the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on him. Why do you continue to invite punishment? Must you rebel forever? Your head is injured and your heart is sick. This is is God calling out to his rebellious people. For any of you who are parents and have reached that point where you have uh, struggled with rebellious kids, you can really empathize. Maybe you were the rebellious kid where you knew your parents were, like later in life, you can like, oh yeah, man, they were really trying, but I was a pain. Right? Maybe that's your story, where you can just really relate to the heart of a parent wanting what's best for your kids while your kids just ignore, stick their nose up at you, and go and do the wrong thing anyway. And the pain that it causes 
when you love somebody that does that to you, that's the heart of a God that wrote these words through Isaiah. And eventually, after years and years of rebellion, God brings discipline in the form of Babylon. And so Daniel and his friends, along with so many others, were taken captive and they watched as the city was destroyed and the temple was desecrated and robbed and and then they were taken as slaves and forced to live as captives in a far-off land, indoctrinated with new language, new customs. And they were effectively, so many of them, being punished for sin they didn't actually personally commit. They were receiving the consequences for things that people generations before them had done. And I don't know if you've ever been uh, falsely accused or, or had to have consequences hit you for something that you didn't do, but it doesn't tend to go over really well, right? It tends to get our hackles up a little bit, right? I grew up with a family in uh, North Idaho when I was growing up as a kid. And by the time we got to high school, there was three boys in this family. Two of the guys were quite a bit older than us, and I was the same age as the youngest brother. Well, the two older guys were the guys in town that nobody wanted to mess with. Like, we all know that person in town that would fist fight anybody, anywhere, anytime. These guys were both like that times 10. They were rowdy. That's me saying it nicely. Well, you can imagine their teachers uh, put up with a lot. They spent more time in the principal's office, I think, than they did in the classroom at different points in their life. And so by the time the younger brother, who was like probably eight or nine years younger, he was a lot younger, by the time he got to high school, man, he was... He didn't stand a chance, right? Everybody had had it out for him. Whether he deserved it or not, he was suffering the consequences of those that had gone before him. I mean, just by his name alone, people didn't like him. That's a hard place to be, to suffer consequences for something you didn't do. And I think all of us have probably experienced that at different times in our life. I think people that we love and care about, we know have gone through circumstances like that where we're like, oh man, that would be tough. I'm glad that's not me. We know some stories. And and what I wanted to do is just unpack a little bit. I think there's really three ways They're pretty common, there may be more, but I think there's three really common ways that you can respond when you're experiencing consequences for something that you didn't do, you didn't deserve, right? When you're in a situation that you're getting getting the punishment for a crime you didn't commit, so to speak. The first one is this, Uh, you can respond like a victim, right? That, that, which in some, uh, uh, perspective is absolutely accurate, right? When you are experiencing consequences for something you didn't do, you are a victim. But there's this thing that happens, and I think we all understand this and probably know people that live this way, where you go from being a victim in a certain certain circumstance to being always a victim. And it seems like no matter what happens, no matter where you go, no matter what goes on in a person's life, they just, they go from, uh, I was, uh, the circumstances were unfair to everything that ever happens to me is unfair. It's never going to work out for me. My life, I always get the short end of the stick. And there's all this never and always. And they see themselves as a victim. 
Life's never going to be any better. And at the end, all of it, there's this like kind of self-view and self-talk that is all wrapped around the poor me's. And if you're walking around in life with a poor me perspective, you're going to have a hard time seeking God's wisdom. You're going to have a hard time representing God, staying true to God, and having people want to know anything about your God. Because you, that poor me person tends to be the kind of person that people get like, eh, I was around him once. Like, I don't, it's uncomfortable. I don't want to be there. Another way that people respond is on a different end of the spectrum. When, you, when they're in circumstances, they're experiencing consequences for things they didn't do or don't deserve, is to get angry and to want revenge, to have vengeance and to get even, right? Like, oh yeah, so this is the way it went. Like, you're going to still treat me that way? Like, this is not fair, this is not just, and I'll show you. And the, the blood starts to boil and the temperature's hot and, and they start to go through life with this perspective that no matter what, I'm going to get even because something's always been not fair to me. And my response to not fair is mad. My response to not fair is revenge and I'm going to get back. And this very thing was going on with Daniel and the guys in Babylon. There were many in the land at that time who were among God's people that claimed to be speaking for God as prophets. And they were saying, hey, God's telling us it's time to rise up. It's time to revolt. It's time to plot to assassinate the king, to come against Nebuchadnezzar, to push back. Like this unjustness, this unfairness can't continue. But there's a different way to respond when things aren't fair and aren't just and you're experiencing consequences for things you didn't do and you don't deserve and it falls more in line with the way that Daniel lived. Because Daniel just decided to walk in, in wisdom. He just decided to walk in God's wisdom. He, he purposed in his heart to follow God. He committed not to defile himself. He took personal responsibility for his relationship with his God. And that didn't change no matter what happened around him. His circumstances could change and his circumstances could be fair or unfair, just or unjust. But irregardless of those circumstances, he made a decision to follow God no matter what. And when he began to walk and live that way and it began to shape the way that he thinked and be, uh, thought and behave and acted, then all of a sudden he started to have a different perspective and a different view of himself. Instead of poor me, I'm a victim or poor me, I'm going to fight back. He started seeing himself as blessed me. I have a God I can walk with no matter what circumstances I'm in. No matter how fair or unfair life is, how blessed am I that my God will walk with me, that my God will give me wisdom, that my God will give me instruction and lead me in everything. I think he totally embraces and, and brings to life another one of uh, my favorite passages, and it's probably one of my favorite promises of God. In Second Chronicles 16.9, it says that, the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the whole earth so that he may strongly support those whose hearts are completely his. And I just love this picture. We have a God who is literally scouring the earth, looking for people whose hearts are all in. 
For people like a Daniel who have said, I'm committed to walk in your wisdom no matter what. If something's going to mess up my relationship with you, I'm not going to do it. Like, I, I don't know if I'll be able to do it perfectly, but I'm deciding. Like, from, if from where I'm at and the choice I'm making, all I really want to do, God, is be all in with you. And God is on the lookout for people that have made that commitment, that have that resolve, so that he can give them what? His full support. Contrary to what the world says in this idea that like one person can't make a difference and you've got to join the crowd and be loud with the other loud voices. It's the only way to make a difference is to rattle everybody's cage. Contrary to that, one person who is committed to follow God, who can get God's full support, can radically impact the world around them. I don't know if you know this, but, but having God on your side is, is good. I'll take God all in, giving me his support, his wisdom, his instruction, his encouragement, his peace, his strength. I'll take that over any amount of loud people that are excited about some cause. And Daniel embraced this and embodied it. He just was a guy that resolved along with his friends and he received God's support. And it's crazy how they not only just survived in Babylon, but they thrived. I think it's so important that we remember, like they're captives. They're prisoners there. All of the things that got them to the circumstances that they were in. And yet, in spite of that, they didn't just lay low and duck their head and hide out and try to just be quiet and not get in anybody's way and be really secret they were among the king's wise advisors. They were the upper echelon to influence the top level leaders in the country. They weren't laying low. At different times through Daniel's life, he was elevated to second or third in command over the most powerful nation on earth at the time. He wasn't hiding out. And yet he never sold out. He never compromised his commitment to walk in God's wisdom. He never backed down or shied away from, from staying true to his commitment to follow God. He thrived. And it was like, man, I, I think we can look back at these stories sometimes and look at them and go, man, with such admiration, like, ooh, I don't know if I could be like that. I, I, and then you sort of wonder a little bit, like, is it really true? I mean, do we just see the highlight reel and we not heard about all the mistakes? And like, how could they get so resolved like how could they actually do that because I can imagine myself in situations in the world that I live in where if I was second or third in command to somebody that I have a hard time agreeing with and totally disagree with their politics or their worldview like would I be like a Daniel or would I be spouting my wisdom and I think Daniel knew something I know Daniel knew something that I think some of us might forget or not know. A lot of us know Jeremiah 29, 11. Uh, in fact, lots of people have this 
in your house somewhere on a plaque or a picture or you write it on cards to people as your a verse that you want to you know it's graduation time and I guarantee you Jeremiah 29 11 went in a lot of graduation notes to people you know I know the plans I have for you says the Lord plans to prosper you and not hurt you to give you a future and a hope like like God's got good plans for you which is it's meant to be an encouragement and it is encouraging by all means but as we know context matters and and in order to to get to the, the spot in the story where God's got plans and they're good plans, you need to know what else was going on. Jeremiah was a prophet that God sent to speak to people who were in exile in Babylon, to Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego and the others who had been captive, uh, captured. God sent Jeremiah to tell them what to do and how to live. And Jeremiah 29, let's start at the beginning of the chapter before we get to the good stuff. It goes like this, Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah wrote the letter from Jerusalem to the elders, priests, prophets, and all the people who had been exiled to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. This was after King Jehoiachin, the queen mother, the court officials, the other officials of Judah, and all the craftsmen and artisans had been deported from Jerusalem. He sent the letter uh, with uh, Elasa, son of Shapan, uh, and Gemariah, son of Hilkiah. I, I joke because I do Jesus time every morning. I read a lot of scripture out loud. I'm not getting any better at names. So um, just feel comfortable when you butcher Hebrew words. It's all good. Uh, and they went to Babylon as King Zedekiah's ambassadors to Nebuchadnezzar. And this is what the letter said. So, so Jeremiah is like God called him to write this letter after all these people had been taken captive. So when Babylon came, they took the cream of the crop. They took the royalty. They took the top families. They took the top craftsmen and artisans. If you had a skill and you were good at it, you were captured and used for your talent. And everybody else, they didn't get to come along. That was the end of the road for them. And, and it was at this time, this is what, This is what God told Jeremiah to tell those people who had been exiled. Verse four, it says, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. I don't want you to miss that. This is what God says to tell all of the people that he exiled to Babylon. Babylon was just a tool to execute God's discipline. It's a little bit like me trying to fight the wooden spoon in the hand of mom, right? Like you can get mad all you want at the wooden spoon. It's just the spoon. You can get mad all you want at Babylon. It was just the tool that God used to discipline his people So this is what he tells them, verse five, build homes, plan to stay, plant gardens and eat food that they produce, marry and have children, then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren, multiply, do not dwindle away and work for peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile, pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel says, do not let your prophets and fortune tellers who are with you in the land of Babylon trick you. Do not listen to their dreams because they are telling you lies in my name and I have not sent them, says the Lord. 
This is what the Lord says. You'll be in Babylon for 70 years, but, when, uh, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised, and I will bring you home again. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and bring you home again to your land. You see, God sent them into exile. Contrary to what it felt like, Babylon wasn't their enemy. When God gives them instructions, he didn't speak about Babylon as an enemy. He didn't say, here's how to fight back. In fact, he explicitly said, don't let those that are trying to stir the pot and say to fight back and rebel and seek revenge, like don't, let, don't listen to them. I'm not speaking to them. That's not the plan in Babylon. The plan, live godly lives. Pursue God. Pray and ask God to bless the place where you've been exiled. Pray for the benefit and the welfare of it because as it prospers, you prosper. I don't know if you know this, but you live there. Right? And all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute. And I think that the thing that's so powerful for us to remember and to reflect on and wrestle with is here we've got Daniel and so many others that are caught up experiencing consequences for stuff they didn't do. And I don't know if any of you can relate, but I sure bet you can. It sure feels like a lot in our country that the everyday person, particularly those of us that love Jesus and are following God, feel very much consequences of people that are making decisions and doing things that are way beyond us, that are beyond our control, and yet we get to deal with the everyday consequences. And it can get a little bit frustrating. And we can start to see ourselves as the victim and we can start to live there and we can start to see ourselves as the, I want to fight back and revenge and spout and, and you know, like steam can come out of our ears. Or we can start to come back to God's plan for people in Babylon. Because I think the same truths apply to us today. He says, long before you get to the part of the story where it's Jeremiah 29 11, I know the plans I have for you. They're good plans. They're not going to process, you know, they're not for disaster. Like I have good things in mind for you. Way before you get to the part of your story where you get like the full blessing of God's good stuff for you, it starts with, he says, in those days, you can pray and I'll listen. And you can seek me wholeheartedly. And guess what happens when you do that? You'll find me. And so as we're praying, as we're seeking God, as we're deciding like Daniel and so many others did to walk in God's wisdom, that's the path that leads to this contentment and joy and a person that is praying for the people around us, praying for the country that we're living in, praying for the leaders of our county and our city, genuinely caring about the welfare of those around us because as it prospers, we prosper. We start to see ourselves as blessed instead of poor me. So this morning as we're wrapping up, I just, I just want us to be reminded of these things that 
that Jeremiah wrote to call God's people to, to pray, to ask God for wisdom, to ask God for the blessing and benefit, to like live righteous, godly lives in Babylon or Pullman or Moscow or wherever you go home to, right? To live godly lives. And to imagine, instead of, I don't think I can make a difference, I'm not sure if it would ever matter what I think or what I believe, what if, what if we all just resolved with all of our heart to choose to walk in God's wisdom, to trust God, don't lean on our own understanding, don't try to figure it out our way or somebody else's way, but we just rely heavily on God's wisdom. And we seek God's will and God's way and God's counsel. And we pray and we seek him with our whole heart. Each of us personally, would this town not be radically impacted? Would our families not be radically impacted? I think so. Hey, every week as a church, we take communion because we want to remember often what Christ did for us. We want to remember often that we have the ultimate example of a God who has resolve, who has a commitment to do the right thing, and to like just stick with the Father's plan. Jesus decided to walk in the wisdom of the Father. He committed to follow him and follow his plan no matter what, and he went through some pretty in- incredible circumstances. But he stayed the course. And because he did, each and every person has the opportunity to have our sins forgiven, to have a relationship with the God of the universe, to to have God's spirit in us and with us and guiding us, counseling and directing us, like all of that was a result of the resolve of Jesus to follow the Father's plan. So this morning as we take the bread, we remember the body of Christ. In the cup, we remember the blood of Christ that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. Hey, as you're sitting there, I know you know, we we finish with worship, and uh, I just want to invite you to, to do something. Like, I think it's important that we keep coming back to this decision to walk in wisdom, to seek God. That we don't just sort of haphazardly follow him. But, but we, like Daniel, we go, I, we actually tell ourselves, maybe we even write it out, like, I am going to follow God no matter what. I might mess up, but I'm resolved to do my best to follow God and trust that he'll help me. And so I want you to just sit there and, and chew on that for a minute. And if you're in a spot where you're like, I'm in, I'm making that decision, and you can say it to yourself, and you can say it to God, then stand up. And, and, and for yourself, And for the people around you, when you stand up, what it says is that's a person that's committed to follow God. And I think it's important that we remember it's a big deal. And it matters. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by going to rlcpullman.com or by following us on Facebook or YouTube. Until next time, have a great week.